Hello and welcome on to another episode of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So today we're just going to go through basically like an off-season setup. Um, and what I mean by that is like just judging the landscape of what is uh, a very different off-season uh, obviously, because COVID-19 has changed not only the dates, when things finish, when things begin, the money, uh, you know, the way uh, prospects are viewed for the draft, a lot of things have changed. And so I think it's kind of important just to kind of give you an overview of the landscape of what this offseason will look like before we start talking about, um, you know, free agency and the draft and all that sort of stuff. So this will be kind of a shorter pod today. But one that you can go back to uh, if you question the decisions that teams make. Uh, maybe you don't understand why a team went in a certain direction uh, with their money or didn't do anything at all. Hopefully this uh, will be able to give you uh, a little bit of uh, uh, kind of like an answer to maybe some of those questions uh, of why your team might have or did not do or make a specific move. So there's five points here I think I want to touch on. And the first one and the most important before we even get anywhere is uh, the salary cap number. Uh, that ov- that really determines uh, everything that goes on uh, in the offseason. So, you know, obviously we understand that things like the mid-level exception, whether it's the, uh, the full uh, MLE, the taxpayer MLE, and the room exception are all judged based on uh, the salary cap number. Uh, we'll get into what those mean and what those numbers are in a second here. The rookie scale contracts, uh, when rookies come into the league there, specifically first round picks are paid a certain amount based on what the salary cap is. And obviously the last one is max contracts. Uh, max contracts are obviously based on a percentage of the salary cap, whether it's the 25% max for a 0-6 to six, uh, player with 0-6 to six years of experience, a 30% max with a player from zero, uh, from 7 to 9 years of experience, and a player with 10 plus years experience is eligible for a 35% max contract. So with that in mind, it is important to understand where this salary cap number is. So right now, uh, as of last year, we had the salary cap at $109.1 million, with the luxury tax line being $132.7 million, and the apron line being at $138.9 million, or $139 essentially. So these are the arbitrary numbers that we were using to basically judge uh, how much we can pay players, how much, uh, what kind of uh, financial constraints we have to work within, whether you're a GM, whether you're an owner, uh, you need to know these numbers because it's going to determine where your pay flexibility is. So I guess what, what I'm saying here is that because COVID-19 has hit, and because we uh, the the league estimated that they uh, didn't get, I think, 1.5 billion in revenue that they could have gotten, uh, should this had been just a traditional season, that is naturally going to affect uh, the amount of the salary cap because obviously the salary cap number is based on what's uh, something called BRI, which is basketball related income. They, there's usually a 50-50 split between the owners and the players. And if there's not as much money to split, that means the players don't get as much money, which means obviously that the cap uh, tax and apron numbers are in question. 
So I say all of this rambling just to say that the league and the Players Association need to agree on a salary cap number before we can move forward with any of this stuff. And what that number will be um, seems to be somewhat up in the air uh, still to this point. Um, it looks like it's going to stay constant at that $109 million number. Um, it, it's not looking like it's going to dip below 109 um, But I think what really, more than anything, what I think what really is going to impact is what is the luxury tax number, I think, is what should be looked at. Because, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the 109 number, you know, most teams are... Uh, don't have cap space anyway this year. Uh, there's only about a few teams that have cap space, and so we'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, most of the league does not have cap space, and so they're already over the cap, but most of them being under the luxury tax line. So that means they are uh, kind of in between that 109.1 number and that 132 uh, 0.7 number we talked about earlier. There's somewhere in between there. So the luxury tax number is really what's going to, uh, you know, kind of change things because if we can get the luxury tax number to go up a little bit to, let's say, 135, 139 perhaps, whatever they want to decide, that gives teams a little bit more wiggle room to sign and, and use their exceptions to stay under the uh this the luxury tax which is where uh you know owners are going to have to start paying extra money for every uh dollar of salary so that really is the number that i'm watching closely more so than the than uh the salary cap number so we'll see what what happens there but uh the fact of the matter is, is that number has not been determined yet and uh until that's determined uh we can't really start to talk about anything uh, else uh, in any in any sort of serious manner, uh, because again, those financial constraints are really going to set up how the rest of the league uh, chooses to work uh, based on what those financial numbers are. So, like the likely flattened salary cap uh, from last year uh, is going to uh, have an impact. And so, let's talk a little bit about what impact that might have. So, if we're lo working with that same 109 number, right? And you're a guy like let's say like let's say Fred Van Vliet for example, okay? You're working with this 109 number. You're 26 years old. Uh, you're looking to get your first big payday if you're Fred Van Vliet. Um, you might be more inclined now to just take a one plus one, which is which basically is a one-year deal with a player option, with the intention that maybe you want to opt out of that player option next season. And then be able to get a little bit more money next season when um, when the cap is a little bit higher and teams can uh, afford to pay you a little bit more. And more teams will have money next offseason as well, which means more teams will be able to bid for your services. So that could be, you know, an example. Is a guy like Anthony Davis willing to risk that? Obviously, Anthony Davis more than likely to sign with the LA Lakers at this point. Is he willing to take a one plus one um, and be, uh, obviously get back on the market in 2021 uh, and his max contract? Um, actually, let's let's take a look and see what how long Anthony Davis has been in the league because again I'm not sure I think he's going to be eligible for the seven to nine year max 
if I'm not mistaken here. But that's an example. Uh, that's a, a good example. If you're Anthony Davis, are you willing to take a one plus one to go back out onto the market in the next season and perhaps get more money? So Anthony Davis has played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So even if Anthony Davis were to play next season, uh, he would still be only a uh, player with nine years of service. So he would still only be eligible for that 30% max contract anyway. Uh, but nonetheless, does he want to go and take that one plus one and be a free agent in uh, a market with a, a salary cap that's 115 million as opposed to 109? So he's getting 30% now of 115 instead of 30% of 109. Um, I don't think personally he would do that. Uh, but again, these are the type of things you have to think about if you're uh, if you're a player. So again, that's the light. That's the, the scenario of the salary cap. Um, let's get into, you know, the, uh, the fact that there is, this is a weak free agent class. Actually, you know what? No, before we get into the weak free agent class, let's talk about the mid-level exceptions. So every, uh, every year a team is granted what's called a mid-level exception. And this exception, basically the general premise of the exception is it's a tool that teams can use to pay players, uh, that does not count. Uh, towards your luck, uh, sorry, your salary cap number, but does count toward a potential luxury tax number. So this is uh, this is a way that teams can pay players while not uh, while going over the salary cap essentially. So if you are, so if you are over the salary cap, over that 109.1 number, but under the luxury tax, you get what's called the full mid-level exception, and this is uh, basically allows you to pay a player up to $9.76 million uh, per year with a maximum of four years for 41, or for, sorry, basically 42 million. You can also split that number, that 9.76 uh, number up for one year between players. You don't have to use it all on one player, but that is the ideal, uh, that's the ideal exception that you want to have where you're over the salary cap, but under the luxury tax. And that's called the full mid-level exception. Next, we have the taxpayer mid-level exception. So that is you're over the salary cap and you're over the luxury tax. So you're over both of these now and you're bumping up close to now the salary cap apron, which again is that 138 million, uh, 138.9 million it was last year. So if you are over the cap and over the luxury tax, but under the apron, you get the taxpayer mid-level exception and that is a 6.03 million dollar one-year contract uh, that you can use for a maximum of a three-year 19 million dollar deal and again you can split up that 6.03 million between players it does not have to be spent all in one player that's the taxpayer mid-level exception if you're over the cap and over the tax if you are under the salary cap Obviously, you're under the tax, but if you're under the salary cap, you're granted what's called the room exception, where you have a $5.03 million uh, deal that you can give out with a maximum of two years and $10.3 million. Again, that's the room exception uh, if you're under the cap. Uh, you also have the biannual exception, which is granted to teams to use every other year. Uh, works exactly like the mid-level, um, but basically, if you use the... Um, 
the biannual exception one uh, this year, you can't use it next year, and then you're regranted the uh, ability to use it the year after. So that's how that works. So the biannual exception, $3.82 million for one season uh, with a maximum of a two-year $7.83 million contract. And again, you can split up the biannual between players as well. And then the rookie minimum is nine. Uh, 946000 basically $950,000 for the rookie minimum. And these numbers are, again, all based on a $115 million salary cap. Okay, that's important to understand. That That's what these numbers are based off of when I looked uh, for them online. Uh, so, again, that those are the mid-level exceptions that are going to be available to use for players, uh, which is going to be huge uh, because so many teams don't have, um, you know, uh, cap space. These these tools are going to be used very severely to get out uh, to get at some of these free agents. Uh, and speaking of those free agents, let's talk about the free agent class. Um, this uh, is widely regarded as a very weak free agent class. Um, it's it's no secret. 2020, um, 2019, a lot of agents got scooped up for, uh, you know, two plus ones, one plus ones, uh, max contracts, all that jazz. And now we have basically been left over with uh, players who just basically did not get paid. And, you know, at this point, the I would say that the best free agent on the market this season is probably the Raptors point guard Fred Van Vliet, who is 26 years old, undrafted free agent with full board, with full bird rights, meaning... Uh, the, uh, the Raptors can pay him more than in, any other team can with his uh, starting salary and cap hold starting at 190% uh, of his last year's salary. So his cap hold uh, right now sits at $17.7 million for Fred Van Vliet. And it's looking like he will probably get paid more than that with the amount of bidders. Uh, but he is the strongest free agent in this class, which basically needs is all you need to know about how good this free agent class is. I mean, the other o- only real argument you can make is Danilo Gallinari, uh, I would say. And, you know, Anthony Davis, we're not even considering in this per se, be- just because we know he's going to resign with the Lakers. So the weak free agent class is big. Um, are teams going to be willing to spend the money in this free agent class, or are they just going to try and save that? Excuse me for the offseason of 2021. A lot of teams are going to be looking at the 2021 offseason with Giannis coming on the market, um, potentially Kawhi and Paul George as well, along with some other major free agents. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see uh, who might uh, want to save, uh, you know, their chips for next year uh, to go after some bigger free agents. We'll see how that works. But uh, overall, a weak free agent class we're dealing with here. In the in the 2020 offseason, uh, the next thing you want to talk about is very few teams uh, actually have money to spend in this offseason, and the teams that do have money, uh, most of them are very bad. So the Atlanta Hawks have a, a clear cap sheet right now, 43 million in cap space. Uh, Charlotte Hornets about 20 million in cap space, 30 million for Detroit, uh, 20 million for Miami. 42 million for the Knicks and 17 million for Phoenix and a few of these teams could make some uh, some moves to get even higher in their cap space derby as well. Uh, so again, that is going to impact again, uh, you know, are these teams uh, going to go and blow the bag on what's a, a weaker free agent class? Like are the Knicks going to go out and pay Fred Van Vliet 25 million dollars? I don't know, it's possible. 
uh, as possible. But this is the type of thing that we're looking at here is a weak free agent class uh, and not a lot of teams with not a lot of money that usually leads to a lot of these free agents getting squeezed uh, for maybe less than what they are worth. Uh, and that's going to be uh, interesting to see which teams can kind of pick up some of uh, these valuable players. You got guys out there that I think are going to get squeezed a little bit that might be worth something is, you know, uh, like a Tristan Thompson, uh, I think uh, I think could help a team. He's still under 30. He's got full bird rights with the Cavs. Are they going to want to bring him back? Or are they going to put him out onto the market? Uh, and especially being a center, I think that he could be scooped up for a cheap price. Uh, you know, a guy like Davis Bertans, like when the music stops and none of these other teams, you know, have money, is he going to go back to the Wizards or is he maybe going to get uh, scooped up at a bargain price? We'll see. What about a guy? Um, what about a guy like Derek Jones Jr., 23 years old, unrestricted free agent, full bird? Uh, is there an opportunity for him to possibly get out on the market to a team that can re- that really needs uh, an athletic wing that can uh, you know defend and really provide some athleticism to maybe an older team and uh, kind of get them some youth and some springy legs in there? It's possible. Again, what's the market for a guy like a Joe Harris, 29 years old, unrestricted free agent? Are the Nets going to will want to bring him back, especially with a lot of their cap sheet being taken up by you know two big stars in Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, along with Karis LeVert, along with Spencer Dinwiddie? Uh, you know, Jared Allen is on the verge of getting properly paid here. Uh, Torian Prince still got 12 million of his salary on there. DeAndre Jordan is due 10 million dollars as well. These are the things you've got to think about uh, if you're the if you're the Brooklyn Nets and the rest of the league. So the so basically, uh, you know, some potential free agents could possibly get squeezed uh, due to the lack of money around the league. Uh, but that is a factor. Uh, very few teams with money. Um, the next thing I want to talk about and not spend too much time on this is uh, the draft class is considerably weaker. Um, a lot of people, you know, I've been I've been reading Jonathan Wasserman, you know. Um, Jonathan Gavoni, Mike Schmitz, Sam Vecini, all these guys I respect tremendously when it comes to their draft work, all of which at some point have mentioned that this is maybe uh, one of the weaker drafts that we've seen uh, in a while. You know, we've got a few tantalizing, um, tantalizing, I should say, prospects at the top with, you know, your guys like, you know, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, uh, James Wiseman, Onyeko Okongwu will be topping. Uh, a lot of those guys at the top have a little intrigue to them, but not no super uh, D- Denny Avina. I should uh, I should include in that as well. But none of none of these seem like franchise changing talents uh, from first glance and from what I've read from some respected draft people. Um, so, are, if you're at the top, are you willing to get out uh, of those contracts? Are are yeah? Well, not only the, um, not only the contracts, but the pick as well. Um, because obviously those picks are going to take up a significant uh, amount of money uh, on your books. In fact, let's take a look and see how much the first uh, how much the first pick would take uh, up on the book. So Minnesota has the first pick. The first pick is due uh, nine million. Uh, 9.7 million in their first year, 10.2 million in their second year. Again, assuming the nine, the 9.7, assuming we stay constant at the 109.1 salary cap number we talked about earlier. Are they going to want to trade out of that pick? Um, th- that's a lot of money to take up for a rookie that may not contribute, that may not be a franchise-changing talent right away. Um, you know, we'll see. There's a, been a lot of talk about Golden State trading out of number two. 
as well. Uh, teams looking to move up maybe uh, and, you know, kind of get their guy. Uh, a lot of the teams at the top maybe looking to move down. Chicago Bulls have been another one that have been talked about moving down. So we could see a lot of movement on draft day, and I think some of it has to do with nobody seems to be really sold on their guy uh, in terms of uh, at the top at least. So we'll see how this week draft class kind of uh, plays out. And I think the the scouting departments are really going to come uh, to shine and to fruition when we talk about who can find the diamond in the rough of this draft because there will be one. There will be a guy uh, in this class that is going to be, uh, you know, a game changer for a team that we may not expect. You know, a guy, uh, you know, like a Donovan Mitchell at 14. There's going to be a Donovan Mitchell type player type impact player in this draft. It's just going to be, can you find him? So we'll see how that works. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about here as we wrap up is, you know, making the eight seed is something that a lot of these franchises kind of strive for, you know, team teams that haven't been to the playoffs as much that just really want to see their team in the playoffs uh, to get some playoff revenue and just to get some experience. Like teams like Atlanta uh, and Charlotte and Chicago and Cleveland, uh, and Detroit, uh, who else? Who else here falls into the category? A Memphis, uh, a Minnesota, uh, a New Orleans Pelicans, a New York Knicks, uh, Orlando Magic, Phoenix Suns, Sacramento Kings, uh, Washington. Like these teams, you know, making the eight seed might not be as important. Uh, to these teams now because of the lack of gate revenue you're going to see uh, because there's no fans in the arena. Right? There's no fans paying for uh, concessions and jerseys and beers and uh, season seats and uh, all this sort of stuff that you buy at the traditional sporting event experience. They don't have that this year because of COVID-19. So that extra playoff revenue and extra TV contract stuff and all the other forms of revenue that I probably don't understand at this point or probably don't even know about aren't necessarily available to you because of the impact that COVID-19 has had. So I wonder if some of these teams that I just mentioned might might just take a step back and just say, okay, we're not panicking to get the 8th seed this year. Like, we're not... We're not making moves at the deadline that's going to push us over into the playoff mix. We're not spending this money to be a playoff team this year. I just wonder how much uh, that lack of revenue uh, from the regular season and the playoffs is going to impact teams wanting to push for that playoff eight seed. I think that's going to be something that they that they think twice about. And I think that we might see that a lot of the teams don't uh, decide not to go that route as well. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Appreciate it. This is a podcast you can go back to uh, in case you, you know, your team makes some questionable decisions or makes a move or doesn't make a move regardless. But this is the landscape of the 2020 offseason and one that we may never see again. So I felt it was necessary to do a podcast on it. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I am now a contributor for Fansided's Tip of the Tower. Uh, so you can go look at Derek Terrio's articles uh, on there as I'll be posting them uh, much more frequently. I just did one about why Pascal Siakam, uh, you shouldn't be panicking about him. Uh, if you're Raptor fans, uh, that one seemed to uh, get a lot of uh, good reviews from some of my peers. So I suggest you to go take a look at that at Tip of the Tower on Twitter. Uh, you can find their site and search up Derek Terrio as a contributor and you can find some of my work there. Uh, otherwise, uh, thanks so much for listening and we'll be back with uh, draft and free agent content and all that good stuff coming super soon. So thanks for listening and we'll talk soon.